privilege we have of uh, coming before you this this morning and singing your praises, singing unto you, uh, giving thanks, Lord God. And uh, we praise you and thank you for all you have done for us through your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to be together and to come to your word now. And I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the scriptures that we would truly see what you intended us to understand through your Son here in this passage. May your word change us by your Spirit for your glory. We pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you think about most children, one of the things that children do a lot is ask, don't they? Uh, they don't have uh, things on their own, so they ask, uh, can I have a sandwich? Uh, can you uh, give me a pillow? Can uh, we go to the ice cream store? Whatever it might be. Children are asking uh, their parents for things, right? That's, we know that. We understand that, right? Because they are totally dependent on their parents for everything. And you see that. And as we look at this, we realize that we have a Father in heaven who desires us to see ourselves rightly, that we would ask for what we need, now, sometimes the problem comes in, which is with children also, we don't know what we need at times. We ask for the wrong things. We ask with the wrong motives. But as we're going to see today, as we take a detour from Nehemiah, as we come to Matthew chapter 7, you can turn there, we're going to see that God desires to give us what is good, that it is his will for us to to be practically speaking more and more like his son Jesus, to treat one another as we desire to be treated, to love one another uh, as he's loved us. Uh, and we're going to see that today, but there's something that we need to do. There's something that we need to do before uh, we actually are enabled to do what God calls us to do. Again, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be looking... Uh, at verses 7 uh, through 12. We're going to see that today. But we're going to see how true believers can accomplish God's righteous demands. Because what happens is either we get discouraged and we don't do it, or we become Pharisees and do it on our own strength if we don't trust as we'll see the Lord to live through us. There's a very dangerous, it's very dangerous to be in a church that teaches the word and not trust the Lord Jesus. Very dangerous. Now, it's not that the church is bad. It's that we, if we don't trust the Lord, are in extreme danger, no matter what avenue of religiousness we might be. And we're going to see that we need to trust in the Lord completely, and he is worthy of our trust, and he will answer our prayers if we believe uh, that he will, because he said he is, has. We're going to see that those prayers need to be specific in certain spheres, otherwise uh, we might be deceiving ourselves. We are looking at Matthew chapter 7, and this is in the portion of the area which we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's really the Lord's teaching on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount where the Lord comes to the Jews, those who are sitting in darkness, this is a uh, picture of the teaching. In the book of Matthew, we have uh, really centered around this portion of the teaching uh, that the Lord went around teaching and healing everybody. Matthew, in the end of chapter 4, then we have chapters 5 through 7, then we have in chapters 8 through 9, those miraculous things affirming the teaching again. And so chapters 5 through 7 are an, a, a picture, of, of a accurate picture of the teaching of the king and the kingdom. 
Now, we know the Lord taught a ton more than this, right? But we see parallel passages where pieces of this teaching are. But we also know that uh, the things that the Lord Jesus did on this earth, books couldn't contain that, right? We know that from Scripture, that uh, we don't have everything. But we do have what he wants us to know. And in this teaching here, we see the king presenting kingdom righteousness, which confronts phony righteousness, which is really lawlessness. You see, when people are religious without Christ, that's a phony righteousness. And so the king presents kingdom righteousness, which confronts that phony righteousness. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the king himself, and he is unveiling the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and those living in spiritual darkness. He begins by pointing out what true believers, the blessed, look like. This is in chapter 5. And how they, and, and he does so by pointing out how they are to relate to the world and then to his word. It's a picture of those who are truly saved and it exposes and confronts the phoniness of the unsaved hypocrites, the unsaved hypocrites. And then Jesus gives six corrections to Jewish misconceptions concerning his word, unveiling again wicked hearts of those who would say they were saved. Uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He exposes those falsehoods that have been brought forth. Then in chapter 6, uh, Jesus moved to unveil, from unveiling the wicked heart motives of the unsaved to showing that their outward religious actions reveal hypocrisy, that they reveal hypocrisy, that inward hypocrisy. And then he moved to address one's relationship to material things. And we see that Jesus pointed out that the location of our treasure reveals where our hearts are at or our heart conditions, you see. And then he also points out that what we think about and focus on also points to our heart condition. You see, we were not to be anxious because that reveals a temporary unfocused or temporarily focused divided heart that does not trust in Christ at that moment. And he also revealed that God is gracious to take care of the little things of creation. How much more does he take care of us? Therefore, we're not to be anxious, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then coming to chapter 7, we see Jesus commanding the unbelieving hypocrites not to judge, uh, thus revealing that their hearts were ripe for judgment, actually. And then in context, true believers are to be discerning and judge rightly so as to not throw God's precious word out to be trampled over by those uh, or be devoured by those who are not able to hear it because of their wickedness. And it's from this point we come to see how true believers are actually able to accomplish the righteousness that God demands. If you're a believer, you know Romans 7 really well. We all know Romans 7. We want to do what is right, but we fail. We want to do what's right. But God wants us not to fail as much, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of his son, to mature, to uh, be sanctified. And so again, turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 7 through 12. 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 7. Ask... And it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf and will give him a stone? 
And, or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? It's emphatic, by the way. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Wow, this is a great passage, isn't it? I'm already excited. Well, I was excited studying it, but I'm even more excited thinking about it again. This is a wonderful passage. Now, we're going to see, it seems like it sounds pretty simple. You know, you, we, we treat people the way you want to be treated. That's certainly true, right? Uh, but if you've been a believer very long, you'll realize we have problems with that, don't we? We have a problem. We have ourselves. <laughs> we have this body of flesh. Uh, we're not fully redeemed yet. We've been redeemed spiritually, but our flesh is still hanging out. But thanks be to God, that's going to be taken care of through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to be glorified. But now we recognize, Jesus makes it clear in John 15, that we must abide in him. We can't do anything apart from resting in Jesus Christ. John 15:4. abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. If we just got that, we would realize why we fail so much. I can't bear the fruit of his nature if I'm not abiding in him in every situation. It's just not going to happen. He says here, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we know that reality, but how is that in our practical everyday lives? As we're going to see, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises. But how does that work? How does the word work out of me uh, in, in, into, into the lives of uh, others in terms of my behavior? We know from 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So how are we who are truly saved able to accomplish God's demands. How are we able to do it? Notice, first of all, we must be totally dependent upon Christ to enable us to do what is right. Now, Jesus illustrates this by commanding dependent and persistent prayer for that which is good, which will bring about a promised answer. We need to get this because this is really important. Verse 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. That's pretty amazing. But we need to understand it rightly, right? We might take it wrongly. For everyone who asks, notice that word everyone. We're going to see it later on. Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. This is quite a tremendous promise, and if we understand it rightly in its context, it will, in a sense, revolutionize your walk with Jesus Christ. But yet you'll have to keep remembering it, or your walk will go back to where it was, right? So we need to remember, we need to be renewed, and we're going to see. Now, I want to make some preliminary observations about this passage that will help us interpret it rightly. First of all, although Jesus is teaching about prayer, that's not the main point. I believe the main point we will see is, total dependence on him to do the things he calls us to do. And that real dependence is focused in the context of prayer and the answer to that prayer and the answer to that prayer. Uh, 
the reality is, uh, this passage, he's, he's, he's talking about prayer, but there's more to it than that. I believe it has to do with, with doing what is right and, and doing the right thing. Because notice the context. Look earlier uh, at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, uh, lest they be trampled under your feet, lest, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask. Notice it goes right into that. So we have this statement here. First of all, he, and they've just to finish declaring that believers need to be discerning in their interactions with unbelievers. Need to be discerning. And so on the heels of that statement, he then says, ask, not seek, and knock, doesn't he, right? And then if you notice at the end of our passage, notice verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, see now there's a therefore on it. This really helps us understand the context. You've got to see the connection. Some people will quote verse uh, 12 all day long and they never quote the therefore, by the way. Uh, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, so this passage has something to do with how we treat one another and how we discern in relationship to the world. It's walking the Christian life in this world. So this inner part is going to help us see how we are to live righteously, how to we're to live righteously. So then it's my belief Jesus is using prayer to illustrate absolute dependence uh, on him concerning the things that he calls us to do, the things he calls us to do. Now, some other observations uh, that we don't woefully mistake this is uh, we don't want to take these uh, verses out of context. Notice he says, ask, verse 7, it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. We want to make sure that we understand who this promise is to and the context. Because you'll see people on those bad uh, TBN-type places that will say, God says do this, you do this, you'll get it for sure. You know. Well, what's the context of what God says here? And what is he promising? And who is this promise to, by the way? Who is this promise to? Notice this promise, who this promise is to. If, verse 11, if you then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? General statement goes to the specific. If mankind in general know how to give good gifts, and that could include believers, non-believers, and it goes to the specific. How much will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is key. Let's not forget, it is only those who are in the family of God who have the privilege of saying, Our Father who art in heaven. It is only those who are truly in the family of God. Remember what Jesus said in John 8. Let's turn to John 8. You see, there are two spiritual families. Yes, God is the creator of all, and he is the Father in that sense in creation, right? He created everyone, but relationally, he is not the Father of those who are not in his family through faith in Jesus Christ or pointing towards the seed of Jesus Christ who would die for them. John 8, 41. You are doing, he's talking to the Jews who were basically saying, hey, we're, we're of Abraham, we're in, the, we're in God's family because of that. Well, he says, you are doing the deeds of your father. John eight forty one. 
they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have, I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Isn't that great? You can read about that in John, or in Hebrews 10, by the way. He says here, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God, for this is the reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. You cannot call the the Father in heaven your Father if you have not been brought into the family of God. The reality is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are separated from God because of our sin. We begin this life in the domain of darkness. We are in our sins. But God, being rich in his mercy, sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And through faith, we are delivered from Satan's domain to God. Listen to Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony in Acts 26. Uh, This is the Lord telling Paul what to do. He's saved him. He's telling him what to do. Acts 26, on the road to Damascus, he's recounting this. But arise and stand on your feet for this purpose, Acts 26, 16. I'll read this for you. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. That's Jesus speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus. He's recounting that here. Delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. You see, the gospel opens our eyes to our sinfulness and then the Savior who saves us from our sins. And when we believe in Jesus, we are delivered from Satan's domain into the kingdom of his beloved son, of the Father's beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so then, at that point, we are his children. And we see this uh, wonderful truth illustrated in, in, in 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. If you are a child of God, you have a relationship with the living God. We can call the Father our Abba Father. He is our Father who is in heaven. We have the right to say our Father. We have the right to boldly come before his throne as children of God. Now, those who do not have a relationship with God who might say our Father, whatever it might be, someday Jesus is going to say to them because their sins are not dealt with, later on in Matthew 7, depart from me for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And so then our passage here certainly 
reveals that our Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. It's about believers asking. It's about believers seeking. It's about believers knocking. It's about true believers. We need to see that. And it is in a relationship. Talked earlier about uh, kids with their parents. And we would see the example here about food and a, and a parent f- giving food to a kid who's asking, right? It's a parent-child relationship, but it's a love relationship from a loving father. So then, uh, we need to recognize that it is sin that separates us from God. Uh, Isaiah 59 is very clear. Uh, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save. His ear too dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have caused a separation, he talks about, between the Jews and their God. They weren't saved. They had sin in the way. We know from 1 Peter chapter 3 that God does not hear the prayers of the, of the unrighteous. His ear is not attentive to them. Now, he hears the prayer for salvation every day of, the, of, the, of, of, of time, right? Until eternity, right? 1 Peter 3, 7. Excuse me, 1 Peter actually uh, 3.11. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 3.11. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's ears attend to our prayers. And the point we're going to see is that when you ask for what is in his will and what is good, you're going to get the answer. You're going to get it, and you need to believe that. You need to believe that a good God is not going to give you something else in relationship to righteousness. He's not going to give you something else. He's going to give you what is good if, as we'll see, your heart is right before him. And we're going to see this. So we don't want to take this as a blanket promise to everyone just to get anything they want if they call upon the Lord. Now, as believers, we've got to recognize, too, that sin can hinder our prayers. If we've got sin in our lives, we're not confessing sin, uh, then God chooses not to hear. We have this in Psalm 66. David says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that means I'm keeping it in there, not, not confessing it. I'm holding on to it. I, re- I hold on to irritation. I hold on to anger. I hold on to worry. I hold on to it. I hold on to lust. Whatever it might be, I'm holding on to it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear. We know very serious uh uh, concern for men. We are to live with our wives in an understanding way, according to biblical wisdom, knowing that they're the weaker vessel, but that they are, we are to grant them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. Grant them honor. They are on the same level as you being saved by Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't, if you don't do that, your prayers, that your prayers would not be hindered. So, sin gets in the way, but when we're walking with the Lord and we come to Him, as we're going to see, he is a God who answers, who answers. Now, we'll look at this a little more, um, a little more. but uh, notice the overall context here is about righteousness. And I mentioned this already. The overall context of the Sermon on the Mount, look back. You can skip back a little bit to, uh, to Matthew. Let's see here. Oh, actually, along with that, before you skip back there to Matthew 5, 6, you can turn there. Um, we need to remember, too, that we can pray with the wrong motives, by the way. You know, we can pray and claim a promise that he's going to answer, but he's not going to answer if we pray with the wrong motives. James chapter 4 is very clear about that. If you pray with the wrong motives after your own desires, uh, God's not going to hear it. You're, you're committing spiritual adultery, okay? James chapter 4 is very clear about that. Uh, 
We, we need to, we need to, he says, you lust and you do not have, you commit murder, you are envious, you cannot obtain, you so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. Please tell us to ask here, right? Uh, and you, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we can also ask with the wrong motives. This promise doesn't apply to asking for things that are not in his will, things that are contrary to his will, right? So back, Matthew chapter 6, chapter 5, excuse me, verse 6, we see the context, the context of this uh, passage here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How about verse 10? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 20. For I say to you, thus, unless your righteousness surpasses those of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew 6, 31, do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For these things, all these things, the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father, there we go, knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first his kingdom and what? His righteousness is righteousness the reality is that practical righteousness as we're going to see is unattainable on our own it's unattainable it needs to come from god righteousness in how we relate to one another how we treat one another righteousness in how we interact and act with the world it has to come from the Lord. And if we are not totally dependent on him, continually, habitually, we're not going to get his righteousness manifest in our lives and our relationships, as we're going to say. The reality is, he says, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. And then notice at the end of our passage, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets has to do with how we treat one another. That's the context. So I need to be asking, seeking, and knocking on how I am to respond to people. Now, he answers by his spirit through his word, we'll say. He answers and he empowers us to do what he has said. He gives us the answer. But we need to trust him. We need to believe it. We need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way we can treat people in a godly way from the heart fulfilling God's word apart from God's intervention. That's where we mess up. We know the truth and we try to do it, and we don't, we're not trusting God on a practical basis, on a continual basis. You see, God says he'll answer these prayers. Ask, it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and you shall, shall be open to you. You know, that should revolutionize your prayer life and your walk with Christ, if you think about it. When you pray for what is according to his will, he's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. We're going to see other passages that point to that also. You see, the reality is uh, these things which you're praying about, it's the context here. In this context, another thing we need to see before we get to the passages, they are about that which is good, by the way. It's not praying, Lord God, give me a Maserati, you know what I'm saying, or or, give me uh, an airplane, or give me this. Now, certainly we can pray for things. God wants us to pray about everything, right? But this is about what is good from God's perspective. That's what he's going to do. Notice the passage. 
uh, here. Ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. And then notice verse 11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So the answer is what is good, which means the asking was about something that was good from God's perspective. That's where we get wrong and hung up. We get our motives mixed into it, and he doesn't answer, and he doesn't give. That's like we saw in James. We ask with the wrong motives. We ask with the wrong motives, not from a right heart. We can't do anything, but when we ask, he will give us what is good. He promises that. He promises that. So take a look here. The direct implication is that those who are asking, seeking, and knocking are asking for that which is good by God's definition. By God's definition. Indeed, we know that uh, we were to uh, let our light shine, uh, that they would see our good works, uh, Matthew 5, 5, 16. See our good works uh, and glorify our Father who is in heaven, right? His goodness, His goodness manifest. How am I to treat you and you and you and you? God will answer those prayers. You ask for the ability to do what you know is right from the word of God, how to respond what you know is right, but you don't have the power to do so. He will give it to you. He will do it. We're going to see. He will give what is good. He's not someone whom you ask for what is good, and he will not give you that. He gives you something else. And we're going to see that illustrated. You see, the reality is no one is good but God. We see that with the rich young ruler, right? And we know that there are none who do good, not even one, before they're saved, right? But we know that God's word equips us for every good work. We're equipped, but the doing of that work, we need something more than just the equipping. We need a God to bring it about in us. And that's where we fall short. And that takes total dependence, and it takes consistent prayer. And that's where we fail all the time. That's where we fail. We know the truth, but we don't trust the God of the truth. You see, we were created for good works that we would walk in them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So then, the only way that we can do what he wants us to do is to abide and depend upon him, but we're going to see that it's in the context of where dependent, consistent prayer comes in. Back to our passage, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds, and he who to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when he has when his son asks him for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or shall you ask him for a fish? Will he not give him will he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And it's emphatic. How much more? How much more? These are good works which are wrought in Christ. They are brought forth through Christ. And it is the word of God functioning in the life of the true believer, depending on the Lord, but as we'll see in a moment, God's spirit enabling them to step out and do and answer the prayer of the desire of the one who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness and answer that prayer. So then, let's take a closer look at our passage. It's pretty simple. Jesus commands us, this is a command, by the way, to pray uh, dependently and persistently. Ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. 
this, uh, the tenses of these verbs are continual habitual. Continue asking. Continue seeking. Continue knocking. Keep on doing it. It's not simply one time, one and done, okay? It's a continual asking. It's persistent. That means I have a prayer life. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm talking with the Lord. I'm asking him when things are happening. You know, all kinds of illustrations we can talk about. But we know the early church was continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, we know that we are to Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving, Colossians 4, 2. We're to be praying. We're to be praying. Now consider, turn to a parallel passage, consider what the Lord Jesus shares in Luke chapter 11. This talks about persistence. You see, I don't think we persist enough. I don't think we ask in persistence, continually habitually asking, knowing by faith he'll give it, but not stopping, right? Continually asking, right? Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. That's kind of like uh, 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 Hillary and I knocking on, uh, throwing rocks at Will and Alice's window, saying, Hey, wake up, you know. They're next door. Wake up. Uh, give me three loaves, right? Uh, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. Not saying you'd say that, but the, the, the illustration here, Do not bother me. The door's already been shut, and my children are, and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give anything, because he is his friend, right? That's the first thing. Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say, ask, it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Persistent. Persistent. We sure give up pretty easily. We give up on our prayer about our practical righteousness pretty darn quick. We get up, we get discouraged, we sin, whatever it might be. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 also. Consider what the Lord shares in this parable, in this parable. Luke 18. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray. And what? And not lose heart. Right? We can lose heart. We can lose heart. Saying there was a certain city, uh, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect men, and there was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to him, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming to me she wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This was a parable saying, don't give up, but trust the Lord. Faith, trust the Lord. That's the key, as we're going to see, is believing that what you're asking for, he has promised to give you. If it is within his will, concerning what we see here today. 
our Lord, our Lord wants us to persist in prayer. And uh, when we don't persist, it reveals we're not very dependent in those moments. That's what it reveals. You know how persistent we would be if we had a child who was ill. We know we can't do anything. We are totally dependent. We persist, persist, praying, praying, please, please, help him, please, please. We're persistent, right? We know we can't do anything. It ought to be the same way in our Christian life every day. We know we cannot, practically speaking, respond rightly without his intervention in us. We need Jesus, and we need to believe that he will do so. What is your prayer life like? Is it just the closet and then you go out and do your thing? Or are you praying and asking and and seeking and knocking and and seeking for his righteousness to be manifest in your life, in your life, in all your actions, in all your behavior? So if your desire is for God to intervene in your life, ask, seek, and knock. If your desire is, it's not just simply, I can know the word. But if I don't trust the Lord to do what is good and answer in that, it's not going to happen. I need to be dependent. And that will enable me to know how to treat those the way I would like to be treated, as we'll see. And we'll see that, just a summation of the law. So then, let's take a look at this. Notice, uh, this is a promise, and he will answer it according to his will. It's a promise. He's going to answer it according to his will. It's an absolute promise. Look back in our passage. Ask, and it shall be given. That's straightforward. Or continue asking, it shall be given. Continue seeking, you shall find. This is great. And, and you continue knocking, and it shall be opened. Wow, this is pretty awesome, by the way. When we apply it rightly, wow, what a tremendous promise. What a tremendous promise. Why do we seem so spiritually poor? When God is telling us to do something, and he's going to tell us, as we'll see, that he will answer that prayer. Our faith is so small at times. The Lord wants to increase our faith, by the way. He wants us to trust him. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. What a wonderful promise in its right context. And did you get that? He says, for everyone. There's no partiality. He's not saying, well, you had a bad childhood. You weren't treated very well. I'm not going to ask that prayer. Uh, you've got uh, I, I, you've got these issues. I'm not going to say prayer. If you ask, he's going to answer. You ask in the right context. We make all kinds of excuses why we're not going to step out and obey the Lord, but really we're trapped because we don't sense that we can do it. We need to trust that he will do it through us, and we need to ask for it. We need to ask. We need to ask. Everyone, everyone. And this is in the context of those whose fathers in heaven, right? These are believers. Every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has this promise. Wow, this is tremendous. This is tremendous. Remember what the Lord shares about wisdom in James chapter 1? Turn to James chapter 1. There's a promise there. We only, you know, we, we, we see that promise and we'll claim that when we need wisdom, but we need to think about this, what we're seeing today also. Look at James chapter 1 verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. He's not going to say, why are you asking me for that? You know, it's generously and without reproach. And it will what? Will be given to him. That's a promise. Now the context of, here is the trials, entering various trials. 
When you enter a trial and you ask for his wisdom, wisdom from above, not wisdom from below, he will give it to you. But there's a qualification. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. There's the key. And that's the key for our prayer life also. To claim his promises rightly in their context and to not believe him, you're not going to get an answer. You're not going to get an answer. He says here, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The reality is we need to ask, expecting God to fulfill his promise, expecting it, believing that he will, believing that he will. And that's where we lack so often What about John chapter 15, verse 7? If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Wow, that's a promise. I'm abiding in Jesus Christ and I'm asking for the power to love my wife. It'll be done for me. I trust that he will do it through me. I'm asking for the power to avoid this sin. It will be done. We need to believe the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be done because he is powerful and he desires to do what is good in us. What is good? He desires to do what is good. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and shall prove so prove to be the disciples. First John chapter five, verse 14. And this is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is confidence. This is faith. We know that, right? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Wow. If you take that rightly in its context concerning how to treat others and how to interact in the context of the world, he is going to answer those prayers. If we don't have sin in the way, well, we talked about that earlier, right? He's going to answer it. Ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given. You'll find it. The door will be opened. It is a promise. It is a promise. Now, this implies total dependence, total faith, completely believing that he will answer the prayer, that he will do so, that he will intervene. It's We walk by faith. We should be asking, seeking, knocking all the time, all the time. And God is faithful. God is faithful. It's a matter of faith. And do you believe God will do what he said? Do you believe it? He's saying he will. If you do, it'll change your walk. Dependently trust in Christ. Now, we've messed up, but confess. Believe he's forgiven you. Yes, he has. Step out in faith and walk by faith and walk by faith. And we should be more and more becoming like Jesus. Now, we're going to see he uses his word and his spirit, but he brings that about through his intervention to enable us to do what he's called us to do. He will do it if you trust him. Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it shall be opened so then how do we do this how do we how do we live out his righteousness first of all we need to be totally dependent on the lord to enable us to do so which is exhibited in consistent requesting for what is good and trusting that he will provide it trusting that he will provide it secondly we need to remember who he is and his nature here's where we fall short we don't really truly ponder too deeply who our God is and his nature when we are asking him these things. Notice verse 9, back in our passage. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf? 
will he give him a stone? Or who, or if he shall ask for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven, your Father, by the way, we saw that, right? Who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him. He goes from the, from the generic, uh, we're basically evil, but even mankind gives good gifts to the specific. Our Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. Very simple analogy. Um, you know, if a son asks for a loaf, he's not going to give him a stone, right? That's basic reality, right? Uh, or a fish, he's not going to give him a snake, is he? Right? Um, and in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 11, I'll read this. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by the son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? It's interesting, he's talking about food, what they need, right? We need his righteousness. You ask for it, he's going to give it to you, right? Hunger and thirst for it, right? It's the spiritual reality. When you see a physical reality here, you know, loaf and an egg. And now, I don't think it's vegan stuff here, right? Everything is, is, is good if it's given by God. Now, if you choose that on your own side note, that's fine, but it's not anything more spiritual. He's talking about these things here that God would give on a, that, that a humankind would give, you know, regular speaking of a parent, but how much more would God give as we're going to see what is good to those who ask him? Look at this. How much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? It's emphatic. You've got to see the character of your God rightly. He is your Father who is in heaven. He is good. He loves you. It is his will for you to respond rightly, to walk rightly, to walk in a manner worthy. It is his will for you. You ask and you persist in that prayer. He's going to answer it. He's going to answer it. Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. And notice it is what is good that is given. Again, what is good... That is given. True believers in the family of God asking for what is good from his view will receive it. Wow. If you ask without sin lingering in your life, right? Got to confess it. We all sin, right? If we say we have no sin, we're liars. When you confess that sin, he forgives us, right? Right? So what is your view of God? Is he a cosmic sugar daddy catering to your every whim, every whim, uh, obligated to answer your every prayer, uh, if that's the case, you don't know the God you think you're praying to, okay? Our God is a gracious, heavenly Father who gave his son Jesus for us. He gave him for us. He loves the world so much he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us. See how great a love that we should be called children of God and such we are. We're his children. He is our Abba Father. You ask him, Lord God, help me. Do what is right in this situation. You think he's not going to help you? He's going to help you if you believe it. He's going to help you. Now, we're going to see that the word has to be working in you also. He's given us everything in life and God in us. We're going to see his spirit needs to be working in us. But we'll see. That's the means in which he does things. So the Lord Jesus gives us an analogy to change our view of God. He is so much greater and more gracious than even an earthly father who would give the basics if they were asked how much more would god give the basics of what he requires of you what you need what you need spiritually right take a look at luke chapter 11 because this is a passage that always kind of threw me off a little bit but i think i understand it now 
I think, understand it. Back to Luke chapter 11, verse 9. This is a parallel passage. And I think it's helpful now because we understand what is he giving. He's helping us being discerning with the world. He's helping us on how we treat one another, right? It's righteousness, practical righteousness. Notice in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And I say to you, ask, it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now that sounds really familiar, doesn't it, right? Luke 11, 11. Now suppose one of your fathers asks his son for a fish, or excuse me, one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Now listen to this. This is very interesting. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, now we're getting into the, 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 where people take this so wrong. They pray, give me the Spirit, give me the Spirit, give me the Spirit. That's not the context. We have the Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit of God. He dwells in us forever. We are not asking for him to come to us. We're asking for God to use his Spirit He's going to give his spirit in a sense that he will enable us to do what he's called us to do. If you ask him to be godly, his spirit is going to work in you to be godly to that person. It's going to be the spirit of God by the word of God. You see, God gives us himself. He gave us his son in salvation. He gives us his spirit in sanctification. It's by faith in the the, the truth, uh, by the spirit of God, that we are sanctified. And so here, if you ask him, he's going to enable you, and it's going to be by the Spirit of God that is enabling you to do what is good. Isn't that amazing? It's quite amazing. He gives of himself. He gives of himself. The best gift anyone can give is himself, right? And that's what God has done, and that's what he does. That's what he does. So then back in our passage, uh, we need to have a right view of God. We need to have a right view. We, are, we need to confess our wrong views when we are wobbling and squabbling in our sin. When we may be crying out, Lord, help me not be this way, but we're not willing to trust him to not be that way. Right? We're not willing to believe that he will help you if you persistently ask. That he will come alongside. He will open the door. He will, you'll find if you seek. You will, the knock, he will open So what is your view of God? Is it accurate? Tremendous truth. So then how are we to accomplish the righteousness that God demands? We need to be totally dependent on Christ to enable us to do what he's called us to do, remembering his nature, that he's given us everything we need by the power of his spirit. If we ask, he's going to give. He says he's going to do so. And then lastly, we need to understand what this all is aimed towards. We need to understand the Lord's conclusion here. Let's read through our passage again. Ask, it shall be given to you back in Matthew 7. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And then again, the, the illustration that shows how great God is and compared to even, even sinful man. Or, or what man is there among you whose son shall ask him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask him for a fish, he will give him a snake. He will not give him a snake, will he? If you being then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good, there you go, to those who ask him? Therefore, 
Therefore, this really ties it all together and gives us the practical sphere in which these requests are. Okay. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, it's interesting. Um, you will talk to people at times. Many people quote this verse. It is, is one of the most oft-quoted verses uh, in the Bible. Uh, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. Right? That's the golden rule, right? They'll say that. That's the golden rule. What do you live by? I live by the golden rule, right? And they, they'll quote this verse, right? But the reality is they're not quoting the first word. Almost every single time someone says they live by the golden rule in quotes, they never say therefore. The therefore is we have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ and we are persistently asking, persistently seeking, persistently uh, knocking for what is good and God will answer it. Therefore, this is how it flushes out in reality, as we're going to see. It's, it's how we should treat others, as how we want to be treated here. One pastor puts it this way. At first glance, this seems to be a verse that's just tacked on to the preceding verses. How does it all tie together? Very simply, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we are children of God who have partaken of the character of God by faith in his Son, who are manifesting that character in conduct. And according to verse 11, our Heavenly Father gives us what is good to those who ask him. Now we as his children are to manifest his character in our dealings with others by doing to them what is good. We are to treat others as God has treated us. We're to treat as we want to be treated, right? How do we want to be treated? We want him to answer our prayers and to do what's good and to do what is right, that we would be godly, right? And see, we should treat others. Notice here, he says here, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. The reality is that can't be done apart from asking, apart from depending on the Lord. It can't be done. It can't be done. You see, he says, for this is the law and prophets. Well, the law and the prophets, that was a, uh, a slang term for all the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had at that time. And here we have a summary of the entire law. Uh, turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. All the regulations and all those things pointed to these realities. Matthew 22, verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, 22, 35. Now 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love. You, you have a debt you can't finish off with that one. You still owe it. Keep, keep paying on it. Keep paying on that debt, right? Owe nothing except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The implication is we can't do that apart from asking, seeking, and knocking, totally depending on the Lord. I cannot love you. I can't love you. I can't love you apart from depending on Christ by his spirit, through his word, to change my heart and enable me to step out in faith and do what he's called me to do. And he will. If we ask, he'll answer. If we seek, we'll find. And if we knock, it will 
be opened. You see, we love because he first loved us. And so therefore, how can I love apart from him answering a prayer for me to be able to love, right? For me to be able to to respond rightly. How can I do it apart from being dependent on him? We love because he first loved us. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. Therefore, do you live by the golden rule? The only way to do so is to have a relationship with the living God. It's the only way. It's the only way. Depend on him completely to manifest his character in you as you're continually seeking his, him to reveal and bring forth his righteousness in you. So how can we accomplish what God requires? We need to be totally dependent on the Lord. And that is evidenced in prayer, consistent prayer, seeking for what is good and then trusting him to give it and then seeing our God as a good God who will answer these prayers as he has promised. And then lastly, understanding that this applies to our relationships with one another so clearly. So what is your prayer life like? Do you have a heart of dependence on the Lord? Do you trust in him? Are you asking for the right things? Some of you don't know the Lord, and God is gracious to reveal your heart isn't right, and that's why he sent his son Jesus. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And now with a relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus, you can ask and you'll receive. You can seek and you will find. You can knock and it will be opened to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage and forgive us for so often not asking for the right thing or not asking at all. Forgive us for not continually seeking and for not uh, uh, knocking, Lord God. We are so sinful at times. Help us to see you rightly, that we would be totally dependent, that we would be seeking your righteousness and your kingdom to be manifest in our lives around one another. Lord, may we be dependent upon you in how we treat each other at church, how we treat each other at work, how we treat each other in our homes and our families and our marriages. May we be asking, seeking, and knocking all the time, trusting you that you will give what is good. We trust you to do so. So we thank you and praise you in your son Jesus' precious name.